Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Still at it. I'm still at it here at the uh, chaotic sort of. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say end of the world. I'm not gonna say it. There's something about grief that is informing the way I see the world in a way that I'm. I'm sort of surprised by. I don't want to get too deep into it before saying that Academy Award-winning actor uh, from Adaptation, American Beauty, and The Born Identity, Chris Cooper, is my guest today. Uh, he's uh, he's in the new season of Homecoming on Amazon Prime, and he's in the new movie Irresistible with Steve Carell. A great actor and a guy who I, I've always thought was uh, seemed like an earnest fella and a worker and uh, always... Um, does the job interesting choices and uh just a master master of the craft i was i was happy to talk to him um we did it over the uh the zoom or the something i don't i don't remember what one we used but i need to do it over the video so i can look at people that's what uh that's that's how that's working now so look um Yesterday, they um, cremated the body of my girlfriend, Lynn Shelton. It's a heavy day. And uh, it's not like I was there, but there was sort of a finality to it, you know. But there, there is something going on. I'm trying to, to get back into life in the sense that, you know, get out of my head or I, I don't even know. It's, it's a very difficult time in the world and in my house and in my head and in my heart i get it it would be natural you would think for me to 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 lose a sense of meaning or purpose like uh, I, I don't know how many people are worried i guess i i don't know if there's a some sort of uh dark uh betting pool uh, in terms of uh whether or not I, I kill myself over this I, I, or the world. And I, I don't feel that. I'm not feeling that right now. I'm, I'm completely consumed with, with sadness and not disbelief, but just 
It's almost like I'm on some other different plane with this grief. And then when I check into the world and I realize like, you know, we're all grieving really. And we're all angry that I'm starting to sort of reintegrate into the reality spectrum. Obviously my reality is very small and very specific, very pained, but the bigger reality is something that affects all of us and is righteous. And uh, there's a fight to be fought and it's being fought. And, you know, if you would have asked me a few days ago, I would have thought like, well, all this stuff is really kind of making me not want to live. But now something's sort of shifting. It comes and goes, but it's the fragility of life, man, that one day you're here and then the next minute you can be gone for whatever reason is real and it's profound. Whether you die too young of of unknown disease or you're murdered, I mean, that's life gone and it's awful both of those situations are awful but obviously when you're murdered there needs to be justice i don't know where to seek justice for the loss i'm experiencing but i don't know i felt a little hopeful the other day you know as i released her spirit from this realm through her vessel thinking about it but I feel like there's something pushing me that there is some light. And I don't know why I would see that. That I think that, you know, a lot of this stuff, the human spirit is sort of screaming and 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 kind of transcending and, and winning something. It seems like it's being heard. I believe that. It seems like people are coming together a bit. I guess what I'm saying is that in my grief, though I am sad, I am not dark, and I feel hope, and I feel a deeper connection to life right now, this moment. I do need to know why the birds are shitting all over my house. I don't know what it is. There's, like, I saw a bunch of bird shit in the driveway, and I'm like, what's up? And then I looked up, and there was a hawk's nest there. But now on my back deck, there's this one place where birds are just shitting everywhere. And then over on my front patio, there's fucking bird shit everywhere. It's like they're targeting my house. I think I heard somewhere that it's good, like it's good luck or something, but I've I've had enough of the luck. Now it's like a fucking mess of good luck, if that's what it is. Maybe it's an indication that things are turning around, that things are going to get better or that things are, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just a fucking mess and there's bird shit everywhere. This is a funny story. I was kind of wondering if I should tell it, but I will. A lot of people have been reaching out to me, as I said, and I appreciate all your emails and texts and everything. I do. I'm feeling a, a bit better, a little more grounded and my heart seems to be in the right place i did uh, have a slight battle with lack of purpose or meaning this morning and but i got out of bed and i went and laid with monkey as i told you i've been doing but out of nowhere my buddy my old friend who i've known since we were children it seems uh, jeff ross the comedian gave me a buzz out of nowhere he had sent his condolences which i appreciated but out of nowhere, the other day, he calls. He's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, fine. He goes, I have to come over. And I'm like, okay. And he's, he's like, can I just come over right now? And I'm like, what's going on? Are you recording this? Is this a bit? What's happening? He's like, no, I just need to I need to talk and I, I need to come over. I'm like, all right, come over. And I think I thought like, well, maybe he's feeling bad from my situation and that he wants to sit with me a while like people have been doing. And 
you know, a lot of people I know or kind of kind of know come over and then, you know, they just get to watch me cry for a few minutes and wrestle with my feelings and my heart and my loss. But uh, so Jeff comes over and, you know, we're all we're out front. We're distance. We're masked. And uh, he just decided I was the guy he needed to talk to about his own relationship, which he's having some problems in. He's like, yeah, I just you were the guy I thought would be best. I'm like the guy whose girlfriend died. Three weeks ago, that's you decided like I'm the guy that's that's going to be the go to for some relationship issues. He's like, yeah, I don't know why I'm. <laughs> I just I thought like what a beautiful thing the community I come from that there's so much beautiful outreach and support and uh, and and also just you know Jeff was like um, fuck it I gotta I gotta talk to somebody I'll talk to Marin this. This is the perfect time to talk to him about my relationship. You know what, folks? I'll tell you, not unlike AA or anything else, you know, just to get out of my own head and sit there and listen to someone else's issues and someone else's problems, someone else's story, which is what I do on this show all the time, in in good times and in bad times, it's good for the fucking soul, man, to shut up and listen, speak from your own experience, admit when you don't know what the fuck to say or how to help, help if you can, show up, just show up. And he felt bad too. I mean, like, you know, we talked about my situation, but I, I hope I helped him with his situation. I don't know, but I thought it was sort of uh, funny and endearing and specifically uh, <laughs> something a comedian would do. I'm going to go talk to the one guy I know who is just shattered and grieving about uh, my relationship problems at this point in time. Chris Cooper, you can watch right now, Homecoming is currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video. It was funny when I talked to him, I watched the entire first season waiting for him to show up, but it's sort of, it's not, I don't think it's an anthology, it's not an anthology show, but each season is different, different actors, and he wasn't in the first season at all. And I didn't, I actually didn't watch (laughs) the season he was in until after we talked. His new movie, uh, Irresistible, with Steve Carell, will be available to rent on demand June 26th. This is me and Chris Cooper coming up in a couple of minutes. And also, I might want to add that his wife, his wife, Mary Ann, who's also an actress, uh, chimes in occasionally. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Where you hold up in uh, Massachusetts? Yeah, we're, you know, uh, called South Shore. Sure, I know. Not in the islands. And we're next town over from Plymouth. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I used to. I used to do. Uh, I started my stand-up career in New England area, and I I used to do stand-up in all those little towns. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. So you must know what was his um what's his name? Oh, Steve Sweeney. Steve Sweeney. Of course, he's yeah. a friend of yours. Yeah, I a went to school with him. I went to UMass Boston with Mar- him. Marianne used to do sketch comedy yeah. in New York with uh, another woman and two guys. You know. uh, well, yeah, Steve uh, was like the king of Boston. He was just out here. He did some weird little movie, uh, uh, Sweeney Killing Sweeney or something, and he <laughs> he came out. But I knew him when I was a kid, starting out there. Yeah, he was the, the he was the he was the biggest comic in Boston for a while. Now, Mark, where are you? I'm in Glendale. You're burning up there or what? No, we're all right. It's been okay. You know, it's uh, like, you know, I'm fortunate. I, and I was just talking to Marianne there. Like, I, you know, I, I, I got a little money in the bank and I'm not freaking out. And, yeah. I'm, you know, and I'm doing this and you know, I'm getting out to buy food and I'm exercising. But it's, you know, today it's, it's a little weird because, you know, when they... He, Gavin Newsom says, you know, it's probably going to be three more months. And you really start to realize, like, nothing's really going to be the same ever again. And there's a lot of people that are going to really get weeded out by this thing. And and we don't really know, you know, what the economic outcome we're going to be living in as a country. It's like today, for some reason, I'm sort of like, holy shit. Uh, it's all yeah. fucking it's wide open, man. And, and I, I like I appreciate that they're that, you know. Those that are talking facts that I accept, I mean, it seems like the world, no going back, you know, no, no going back to the old things. And there's so much stuff that needs to be addressed now. I know. know? It's crazy. Like, yeah, yeah. Not what I think I I said this the other day. I said pretty soon we're all going to be who we are. Like there's (laughs) that moment where, you know, you cross over and you realize like, it's very hard not to be self-reflective, and it's also very hard not to to be in your skin and in your life because everything has sort of been taken away. So you can really yeah. as- assess your priorities and your principles and who you are and what you stand for and what you w- might want to do with the rest of your life if we have the opportunity. <laughs> Mary, like Marianne said, we're 37 miles from Boston. Her and her extended family. I mean, she grew up here uh-huh. in Boston with uh, her sister and and uh, sister and brother and uh it's killing her yeah you know she's a social italian girl right and uh, she can't see her family the nieces and the nephews and it's terrible are they doing okay they're doing okay and 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 a little uh the children the nieces and nephews you know they they're quarantined so thankfully our niece is uh, special ed educated and she's um she's teaching and they're doing well, you know? Oh, good. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, that's the best we can hope for. And I, I, you know, some point, something will eventually give, it's just really, it, it makes it all the more frightening that the, the actual federal government is so uh, chaotic and wrong minded and, and, and just terrifying. It's just terrifying when you, when the thing in the back of your head as an American, you know, there's certain things we have grown to rely on, even if we don't have to, and now, uh, you know, about eighty percent of that thing is completely unreliable, and and in the opposite, it's actually terrifying. So, yeah, but it, I I just think it's it's amazing, you know. You know untruths when you hear them. You know untruths when you see them, and that half of this country or whatever is uh, supporting this jackass. They're brain uh, fucked. 
They're at completely brain fucked, and their brains yeah. and their brains aren't coming back. They they voluntarily allow themselves to to be scrambled permanently. I'm looking forward to the point when when he's out. I hope so. <laughs> I hope and, and, and and then then the Republican line will be well. You know, we tried, but we, we just couldn't. We couldn't move him, or you know, just sure. allowing all this bullshit to happen. Oh yeah, they'll just they'll they'll never take responsibility. That's for sure. But it, but it's interesting what you say, Chris, to transition about uh, knowing the truth and knowing when someone's lying. I mean, I'd like to believe you, but it seems like a lot of people uh, want to believe what they want to believe. But I think, you know, to as an actor, you know, if I was to sort of focus in on one thing that you seem to uh, to kind of uh, have in your toolbox is is a sort of uh, uh, no bullshit kind of like engage in the truthness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that's, that's the kind of stuff. That's the kind of acting. Yeah. That's the kind of film work that got me interested in, in, in the business. And really? of course, you, well, sure. The films from the, from, you know, fifties and sixties, that's what really got me started. Like and which ones? You know, it's, of course it's the big three. It's the Montgomery cliff, Brando Dean, uh, and on the women women's side, it was Joe Van Fleet and Mercedes McCambridge and great talents like that. And and what's her name? Um, Ju- Julie, uh, who worked with Dean on East of Eden, Julie Harris. You oh, know. yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. She, truth, yeah. truth and acting. And and unfortunately, I got to say, unfortunately, we just Marianne and I met in acting class. Uh-huh. And our our coach, our acting coach, was uh, Wynn Handman. He was a oh, kind right. of a disciple of the Neighborhood Playhouse. And yeah. Unfortunately, we just lost him a couple of weeks ago, and it was uh, it was had somewhat to do with the virus. You know? Oh, that's uh, he was I'm 95 sorry. Ninety five years old and and sharp as a tack. I'm sorry to hear that, coach. You yeah. Know, but he taught us truth. Right. You know, he taught us to drop the bullshit, and you know. Um, Play the he truth. took me apart and put me back together. It was great. So, but you didn't, uh, like you didn't, you're not from New England. You're like a country guy. No, you? I'm from, I'm from, I grew up in Missouri. Like not St. Louis? Uh, other side, Kansas City, right on the Kansas City and Kansas, uh, Missouri and Kansas line. Yeah. And, and then my father and I raised um, Hereford cattle over in Kansas. We He had some land over in Kansas and spent a lot of time there. He that's what that was his job. How old were you when you were raising cattle? He he was a doctor. So he had to, you know, this was like a it was like a toy uh-huh. investment for him. Um and we uh we ran the ranch uh primarily for the for the early early 60s through the 70s. So and and that was you were sort of a, a an actual cowboy. Oh yeah, I, we did everything. We yeah. did everything. The, you know, the the uh, delivering cattle at midnight in winter. Uh, hopefully, you know, we try and try and worked it out so the cows would drop an, at spring. Yeah. You know, and we'd we do the weaning and the castrating and the vaccinating and and you realize that you spend enough time with these cattle, they all are individual. And so cute. Yeah. You got to send them off to market, you know, right. it, it breaks your heart, but that life was terrific. And I almost considered carrying on with it, but 
thank God I, I wanted to pursue this acting thing. And Boy, now, right. I realize, now I realize ranching is so physical. Yeah, Such well, it's, it's sort of interesting. I watched uh, John's movie, Irresistible. He should have given you more to do with that background. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that, but it's, oh, my God. Working with Carell, that was a knockout. That was great. Oh, yeah, so, he, he, he's so funny, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, what changes? So is your brother, you have a brother, right? Yes, I got an older brother, a couple is, of years older than me. Did he stay in the ranching game? Oh, hell No. <laughs> No, he was a party boy. Oh. He and I were kind of, he and I are kind of opposites. He's super high energy uh -huh. and funny as hell and a real quick wit. And I envy all of that, you know, but um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was a great brother. He got, he was, he got into radio and TV uh -huh. at university, but then um, he got into fine home building and, and, and contracting. Oh, so that was, he's a contractor. Yeah, and he kind of helped me along the way because um, when I was, uh, you know, in 69, Vietnam was going on really strong. And uh, I was working, well, any, anyway, what? I, went, I, I volunteered. I went into the Coast Guard uh -huh. as a reservist. So uh -huh. that's a six-year deal. But that kind of setup also allows you to go to college while you're in the military. Right. Brother helped me out. In the meantime, he also, uh, this is 1970. Yeah. Um, they were working, they were breaking the ground on the Chiefs and Royals football and baseball stadium. So my brother uh, got me a job as a carpenter's helper. Yeah. Uh, working on the stadium and... Uh, Wow. I worked on the stadium for about a year and man, that paid. Can you imagine that paid for two years of college? So you were, did you know how to be a carpenter or were you, did you learn there? Well, I was, it was kind of like on the job training. I was, I was looking over the shoulders of these old timers who were, you know, putting up forms uh, yeah. for cement for, for cement pours and the gopher for everything and track down the electricity and the, fucking number of times i got shocked and <laughs> they just die laughing you know it was a joke to them but but it's that helped me i roughed in a few houses uh with my brother and then uh on the trip to to new york where i was headed um my side job my main job my survival job was uh, a toolbox on wheels Handyman on the subway with me yeah, to the upper East side or upper West side and worked for these wealthy people in their apartments doing whatever they needed. Yeah. Like uh, you were like a, a handyman. Everyone needs it. Yeah. Everyone needs that guy. So that was great for auditions because I could call my own hours. And what, but did you go, where'd you go to college? Did you study acting in college? University, I mean, of, University of Missouri. And was the was it always the intention to to be an actor, or did that sort of unfold? Yeah, I knew I was headed. I knew I was. I I, I took every damn class I could, you know, as English, Shakespeare, all the theater classes. But you never did uh, any acting in high school or anything. Oh yeah, we did this. We did the, like the senior musical, right? And we and it was um, it was Camelot. Uh huh. And uh, I got pissed off because the mayor's son 
got to play uh, Lancelot. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I ended up playing one of the three knights. See that? Uh, Politics. Yeah. yeah. It's always yeah. going to fuck you. Politics. Yeah. And this is, and it's been a through line through a lot of your roles, including that, the last <laughs> irresistible. You just, you're, you know, it's all part of the payback for that fucking kid for Lancelot. And then second semester of my sophomore year at university, then I got, got serious about theater and started auditioning and doing main stage plays. And it was university of Missouri, I think gave me a really good foundation. I go, Farther back, you know, um, I was still involved with theater when I was 16. So I, I really knew where I was headed. In what capacity? Uh, doing everything but acting. So wait, now where was that? That was um, that was a little what they call resident theater. Yeah. On the Kansas Missouri line, and it was called uh, Barn Players Theater. Mm. So you'd have You'd have dentists and nurses and doctors, plumbers, whatever, these residents who put on shows for an audience, for a paying audience. Yeah. And my friend, I was like 16, 16 years old. Yeah. My friends were getting into a little bit of petty crime <laughs> and it was getting kind of serious. Yeah. And, and so I kind of wanted to separate myself from them. So I offered my time went up to this theater, talked to the artistic director there, said, I'll do anything. Uh, just let me, you know. Just keep me out uh, of jail. Let me go on here. <laughs> yeah. And of course, I worked for free. They were happy with that. So wait, did any, people, of, uh, any of your friends end up in prison? Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So anyway, I said I, I do. I did everything but acting. Hung lights, ran a light board, stage managed, was in the wings each night, building as, sets as a scene shifter, mm. and then I worked my way back to the uh, shop and built sets and got into design. So you really knew uh, it. Yeah. Well, you knew the organic nature of the film of the uh, theater community. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's also that thing of appreciate. Not, you know, the actors are going to get enough glory. Right. But learn to appreciate all those people around you that that put together a, a, a project or a play and, you know, and respect their their efforts, too. You know, yeah. And I think it's sort of fascinating, too, in general, uh, about the idea of community theater or neighborhood theater or the theater company where, you know, everybody becomes this. It's almost like a, an organic uh, or symbiotic, a family kind of thing. There's a respect, oh, but there's it's a living, breathing sort of community. It became very, very dear, very touching. These were great, great people. And we became, you know, over a summer became little family you know so you got your you got so but you you weren't ready to step on the stage yet were you a a sociable person were you like nervous about it like that like were you one of those guys where where like you know once you finally got on stage you were like oh, this is where i belong but before that you were like you, you don't talk much well here you know i mean how far do we go back i as, I as far claim, back as you want i claim that my fifth my sixth grade teacher recognized the shyness in me yeah but i had a good singing voice yeah so they did one of those those pieces where they 
they put all four classes together, sing along, individual um, quartet, sing a song, so on and so forth. Yeah. And she put me in a quartet. And in that quartet, I had to sing a little bit of solo. And I liked the applause. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. And um, very much got into singing. Yeah. Uh, uh, any opportunity I did later on to sing, I went to church choir. At the high school, we had a had a really nice, really respected um, choir at mm. And within the and within the high school choir, there was a male octet, and I was one of the baritones, and we did state competition and all that singing. Oh wow! Yeah. And um, so, and then around that time, my folks took me to Las Vegas because yeah. they wanted to have some fun. But as a 15, 15 year old, I thought Vegas was so damn cool. Sure. I thought it was so mature. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, Ocean's Eleven or whatever. Well, it was still, I think it probably was when you were 15. Oh, it was, yeah. It was probably Vegas still was pretty cool. Public. Yeah. We stayed at the Desert Inn. That's right. long gone. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I saw some of those bar shows. Yeah. And man, I just fell in love with it. With the, I, the lounge acts, the singers? Yeah. Yeah. And I was a great fan of like Johnny Mathis and Tony Bennett. Oh, so see. I thought, and then, and and then in high school, I sang on a band, and we did um, fraternity parties and uni, you know university. You were in uh, a rock band. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that you new, were you were a singer, man. Yeah, you the were a new blue soul sound. Wow. So you were like a, a a soul singer. Yeah, and and I don't know if you had it in when when you were growing up, but but in Missouri we had these little dance halls were rather big dance halls for teenagers, non-alcoholic, but places where teenagers on Friday night and Saturday night, they could come dance. Right. We did that a lot on weekends. That teacher saw my shyness yeah. and she really worked on me. And I'm so appreciative. You know. <laughs> she she yeah. saved you from an introverted yeah. life of carpentry. <laughs> and I still had remnants of it, but you know, in university, um, Pretty nice to be in a theater department where there are a lot of girls. Sure. You got a lot of people to impress. Really nice. Put the show really on. Really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. You know, I thought, yeah, you'd be surprised how many people I talked to, musicians, comics, actors, who that was the reason they got into it was. Uh, I wouldn't argue. <laughs> yeah. So once you do commit to it and, and you, did you, so it, it, it in college, did you major in, in acting or no? You could call it a major, but what it was, what I got my degree in yeah. was a general a general studies degree. It right. was primarily created for Vietnam vets who could come back to university and present them. And if they could persuade the powers, to, powers that be, this is what I want to do as a career. If they accepted your argument, then you could more or less create your own curricula. Yeah. And that's what you did? Uh, pretty much. But I mean, it was a, still a pretty good, pretty good education. I still had to do the minimum requirement, you know, general requirement. For the liberal stuff. arts? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So right out of college, you're like, I'm going to New York. Wait, I mean, that's like what, 
1960s. Yeah, yeah. 1970, um, 1969. What? What year was that? Uh, was this was uh, actually I took my time. Okay. I took a couple of I took a little break after uh, college from college, and so I didn't graduate until I think 74, 75. Oh. Really? So you're just hanging so, around doing plays or doing carpentry? No, I doing? was doing I was doing ranch work. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, freshman and sophomore year, my junior and senior summers, I stayed at university to do to do the summer rep. Okay. And we did uh, three plays, uh, three plays each summer, and you were in all three. Oh, so that so you're getting your uh, your flying hours in. Yeah, so it would be like two straight plays and a musical. And and in terms of teachers, and were you just winging it, or did you have somebody you working with good directors? Was somebody laying down how to do this? Mark, I was I, here. Here's the deal. My my, uh, I had a real strong relationship with a uh, uh, St. Louis St. Louis fella, Edmund Wesley, who's African American, very older than me, had already gone to New York was a very established Broadway dancer. Uh-huh. He came back to university to get his master's. Okay. And so part of getting his master's, he had to choreograph the summer rep musical. And that was The Boyfriend. And I played Tony. And that means tap dancing and jazz dancing. And he told the cast... When he when he started choreographing, he said, "My choreography is not going to be easy," and he worked our tails off. Uh -huh. He worked our tails off. <laughs> yeah, but it was a great experience. And then when I graduated, I moved with three other guys and Edmund to New York, and of course we had the advantage because Edmund already had an apartment in New York. So we, I stayed there for a couple of months until we were at each other's throat. All five of you I, were in the, in the apartment. Yeah. I mean, literally sleeping like, like the three stooges, three bunk beds high we built, you know? Right. So what, what was the plan though? Cause I know that, so this is the mid seventies and you guys yeah. were just going to audition what y'all, you were running around with your toolbox and they were doing other jobs, but none of you had agents or anything. No, no way. No, you would do, we would do, uh, you go up to the corner and get the uh, trade paper. And in the back, there would be some, you know, go, general go auditions. Here for auditions and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, but there were also a lot of off, off Broadway uh, shows, hundred seat houses. Yeah. And um, you'd often do, um, you know, little plays and, um, and then also, of course, you know, survival jobs. So when do you start studying with when or and what, what is the, how do you sort of, you know, kind of build on your abilities? Um, okay. So I came to, I came to New York in 75 yeah. and did a few small productions. Um, and I think I got, I think I heard about this class in late 78, 79 and um, started doing classwork. And at the, at the, uh, the actor's well, playhouse at, at, at the, at this little playhouse, yeah. this little studio yeah. that Wynn had set up and uh, people would do scene work. 
and what they call what they do what they called across the table exercises of cold readings. Mm. You take uh, material you're not even familiar with, but with the work, you could learn to scoop lines off the page and still you know deal with the deal with the other actor right and um you know just all sorts of different exercises uh working against self-consciousness hmm. um you know not indicating your you know indicating your work um mm -hmm. also he was a terrific teacher and and that was uh, you stayed there for how long um man i would say marion two years three years and uh i met i met mary my wife in that class uh she was the secretary and she would get uh, she would get um free um she could study for free by yeah. being the secretary and uh admitting new state students in as they came along did you guys work together on scenes and plays and oh sure yeah 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 you're doing it now <laughs> this was the this was the uh, Oh, I have to tell you. Th so this was the star class. Yeah. And I was moving up from the intermediate class. Yeah. And my coach, my intermediate coach came with me to uh, tell uh, Marianne uh, that uh, I was coming into this class. And Mary said, no, no, he's not. Uh, there's a six month waiting list for uh, students here. Yeah. And Bob McAndrew, my my intermediate coach, said, no, I've talked to Wynn. Everything's cool. He's coming into class. And so down the road, um, really as a uh, as a sign of how you have grown as a student, I think eight months down the road, he assigned Marianne and I to work on uh, Eugene O'Neill. Uh, morning becomes Electra, uh, the brother sister incestuous scene. Yeah. So we worked our tail. <laughs> Got to <laughs> know each other, huh? Tails off on that, and <laughs> you know, just kind of found a liking for each other. Well, I guess if you you're going that deep, you're gonna you're yeah. gonna really know each other at the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it just seems like so. I mean, you were not young by the time you started working uh, in, in movies? I was not young. No, I mean, I, I didn't do, I don't think I did a film, any film work until I was 35. I was, I was content. I was really content with theater. And, and thank goodness. You were doing, were you doing a lot of Broadway? Were you doing, you know, big pieces? Uh, I was doing, I was doing regional theater. Oh, okay. Regional theater. And really caught some big breaks doing that. Like what? In, in 1980, um, Actors Theater Louisville was in its heyday. Mm. Was, they were just, they had a great literary department and they would do uh, new play, one act festivals that would um, go on for, you know, a month and a half or two. And New York, the, ep the agents and the, and the managers in New York would empty and come down to um, Louisville to watch these, these new plays and look for actors and new talent. And a number of those play, a number of the plays went back, went up to Broadway. Right, you know? right, right. Sure. So that's what you did. So you'd go down there for a month. So I did that a couple, for a couple of summers when, when the, uh, the artistic director would invite me to, you know, 
joined the joined the company. And that's sort of how you that's how you paid your dues. That's how you got your your time on stage in and worked your chops and became a better actor was doing these regional theaters. Was it did you go elsewhere? It wasn't just Louisville. Were there other places you'd go? No, yeah. And there were small, like I said, there were small um hundred seat houses in New York where you do, you know, you do plays. But did you ever do that kind of a road touring company or spend like three, four months in a place and that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, in, but it was a little bit later in 80, 82, 83, we used to have this exchange with the UK Yeah, where we were, we would exchange talents and, um, UK actors would come over here and yeah. American actors would go over to, to UK. Right. So I kind of lucked out in that, um, there was going to be a production of Tennessee Williams' Sweet Bird of Youth yeah. directed by Harold Pinter. Wow. And with Lauren Bacall. Wow. As the aged um, actress. Yeah. And so um, Michael Beck played Chance, the lead, lead guy in it. And I understudied Michael and was cast as Stuff the Bartender, who is introduced in the second act. Uh-huh. Um, so never had the opportunity to work with, with Lauren, Michael was, was there every night, but, um, that was a seven month, um, run in the West end in, in London. But before that we did a, we did a tour for five weeks of, uh, Brighton, Manchester, Plymouth. Wow. It's a whole lifestyle. uh, Bath. Yeah. Birmingham. Yeah. And it was, it was a terrific, uh, half year. So, of, you, uh, and so you were good with that. You were like, this is the life. Well, you know, I mean, it was important. It was really important to have, uh, Marianne understand the business, you know, before we got married, we had a really serious talk. And I said, you know, I got nothing else to fall back on. I am serious about this business. And, you know, if we succeed, it's going to pull us apart for periods of time. So I don't need a needy girlfriend. Yeah. Are you in or and out? She wasn't. And she wasn't <laughs> by any means. She can, she can fill up her own time very well. So, so there have been some jobs that have taken me away for five months at a time. Yeah. And there's no way I could get back home. Like that, but so, this is, you're talking recently. And recently. Yeah. yeah throughout I mean, the career. So I'm, it's like being a sailor, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's well, I'm glad that she understood and that you guys stayed together. That's a rare thing. It is. It is. But uh, it's, um, I'm very, very lucky. Well, good. Lucky guy. So what, when does you start to, wh- how does the, the relationship with John Sales evolve? Because that was really what introduced you into movies, right? Yeah. And uh, Marianne and I were living together. And we were answering audition, uh, you know, clippings, like um, I said, in the trade papers. And Marion saw that a female uh, junior uh, screenwriter, filmmaker yeah. at NYU wanted to do her black and white half hour film. So Marion got cast in that film. And the writer director is Nancy Savoca. They became friends senior year. Marianne and I are in Nancy's color half hour film. Nancy was trying to make a trailer for her first feature. Okay. Rich Gay and Nancy Savoca. And uh, 
they're trying to raise money by making this trailer. Yeah. So John Sayles' mate, Maggie, offered uh, to um, help the crew simply feed them. She's in a kitchen with Marianne making, make, uh, making food for the crew right. and the cast yeah. to shoot this, to shoot this trailer. Yeah. So Rich Gay knows that John wants to do this film called Mate One. And he says, okay, when the time comes, uh, John, why don't you read this guy, Chris Cooper? Cause, uh, we've already worked with him and, I guess I guess he gave me the gave John the okay that I was worth working, you know, taking yeah. a look at. So we started the audition process with John. Yeah. And I did my first audition. This coincides with with when I w- when I went to the UK for 7 months to do the Tennessee Williams play. 2 months into uh being in London, I get a call back. John wants to read me again with uh, some other actresses. So I do the Sunday matinee yeah. at the Haymarket Theater. Right. Get to the airport, fly home, and Rich Gay picks me up at the airport, drives me to the audition. I do the audition. I read with a couple of women, get right back into the car, go back to the airport, get to uh, UK, Hours before the Tuesday, uh, seven o'clock or eight o'clock curtain, I realize I haven't slept eh. since Sunday. I haven't slept a wink, and I damn near, I damn near fainted on stage. Oh, bad feeling. So <laughs> that was that in a nutshell. So that's how you got the part, and that yeah. and that movie. I remember when that came out because I mean I think I was in. I think I might have been in high school, but it was such a big deal somehow. I, it was such like a, it, you know, it was like a, it was, it felt, it felt like almost one of the first American independent movies. He is known as the granddaddy of independent film. And then he had, and then that amazing uh, look of the thing. I guess it was Haskell Wexler. Haskell Wexler, yes, yeah. who's like a cinema, he's like a cinematographer genius. Yeah. And I just, I'll never forget the kind of the tone and your performance and Stratham's performance and Will Oldham, who is now like a, a strange little uh, empire of his own as <laughs> yes. Bonnie Prince Billy. Uh, yeah. uh, he's a musical act now. But and James Earl. James, James Earl, Earl Jones, Earl. that's right. So, yeah. like, I, I mean, when, in, in Sales had done what, one other movie before that? He'd done, uh, he'd done Brother, Brother from Another Phoenix Planet and Secaucus 7. Oh, Secaucus 7, right. And Liana. Oh, right. So this was, so this one had a little more money to it, I bet. Not that much. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's, it's always been hard to raise money in independent film, but, uh, but just to add to that, I, I wish I knew what the budget was. But just like you said, to watch Haskell Wexler, this master of light. This uh, this director of photography and on such a budget, such a low budget, what he was able to pull off. It's um, unbelievable. It was remarkable. And and like you as an actor, I mean, after doing all this theater and having this relationship with Wynn Handman and, and doing the, the work and working with other, you know, directors, you know, entering the world of film with John. 
I mean, what were some of the skills that you, you picked up from that? I mean, what, how did that change your life or your approach to the thing? Well, okay. I, I say I, in, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, we're entering, we're entering the film world. Now. Yeah. Right. So I'm a student and, uh, I just play dumb yeah. unless I know the better. Right. Just feed me. And John was the perfect person to do a first film with. He set a great example of what a director is all about. He taught me, he taught me that time is money. Right. And, and, uh, you must realize, I think early on, uh, John used primarily theater, theater actors, because I think he knew they would do their homework. They would come prepared. And the one thing you don't do, like with a playwright, you don't fuck with a John Sayles script. <laughs> yeah. So he can justify every word of it. And, and uh, I was brought up in the theater tradition. And so it was just understood. I learned John's work word for word, you know. And um, he just broke me in gently. Like like the other actors, and was just just the the most calming effect for somebody who was so excited mm. and and doing his my first film. Um, I know it was that, I know I know that first week I was told to um, settle down because I was so excited, <laughs> yeah. and I was looking over looking over Haskell's shoulder as he's shooting and asking all kinds of questions, and, you yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> um, so he taught me a good lesson, many lessons. Well, that's good, and you did, like, what, four movies with him? I've done five. Five, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember Lone Star, that was a beautiful... On average, on average we work once every five years, uh -huh. and we have been trying for the last three, four years, he's, he's got two films that we would love to do. But like you said, raising money is hell. It's just so hard. Yeah. Even for, even for him, huh? I yes. guess for anybody, yes. but yeah, but I, I've enjoyed those movies. I mean, I remember city of hope, but I loved, uh, I loved uh, lone star. Not patting myself on the back, but I think that was, I think financially that was John's most successful financial film. Right. And then like, uh, and I think that, Every, I think everybody sort of had to reckon with you when with American beauty, that seems like that was your introduction to uh, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> what? I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> What's going on here, man? This guy's. Well, that was, that was a pretty damn intense film. It was really intense. The, from the first second of the movie, it's intense. Just the yeah. tone of it. It's yeah. like emotionally menacing and, and horrendously familiar. So when you like, I mean, it seems like the, I, I feel like I, I, I know you because I've watched you in many movies and it seems like you're one of these actors that's very capable of, you know, you can play evil, uh, uh, good guy, funny guy, evil guy. Uh, 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 but, but it's just, you just, you just seem to be tweaking the little things inside of yourself. That like outside, well, I guess there's a couple of characters where you, you kind of fully almost physically transform like an adaptation and stuff. But I mean, how do you approach these characters? Do you, you don't, I guess you don't judge them. You just take them at their humanity. No, you can't, you, you really can't, you know, that's a general, 
statement that comes out of actors. You, you don't judge the characters that you're working on. And I would, I'd agree with that. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think I've lived a pretty full life yeah, and had a lot of experiences. And now, I, and now I'm seeing that, that with more and more films as I live longer and longer, I can bring more of my life experience to these characters, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I love, I love going out on the, out on the edge, you know, and, and going beyond or try to go beyond what I, I think I'm capable of. And that kind of, that kind of sounds bullshitty, but, um, like what would like, like, I like to, I, I don't like to, what'd be more boring than to play yourself over and over and over, you know? No, I get it. Yeah, but I see. it seems to me like, you know, with... Well, I, I definitely don't think, you know, now talking to you that you play yourself, but like American Beauty, you know, the torment of that character yeah, and, and yeah. The, the nature of, you know, masculinity and mm -hmm. and all of that, you know, to play, to play the, the fury of that. Uh, you know, what did you use it? Do you, do you, when you, when you do characterizations, do you model yourself after people that you know, or do you just dig within yourself? Like with that thing, that guy's a vet, you know, he's early on. Yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. Well, I, you know, um, early on, I might've done that. I might've made substitutions. Yeah. Um, uh, of, uh, of stuff that I hadn't experienced yet. Yeah. I got, you know, what do you, what else, do you, what else do you have as an actor? But your historical research, if it's a character that's lived and so on and so forth, or, or you can research the time, yeah. the politics, what was happening religiously, so on and so forth. You fill yourself up with that kind of homework. Yeah. You know? And then and then you get particular about about your character and you got you got your research, you've got uh your life experience and what else do you have but your imagination right that's all i that's all i got those are my only tools yeah know? yeah it just seems like every role or the ones that that seem to stand out in my mind you know in a big way you know like american beauty and and adaptation and uh you know even you know, some like even watching that movie that I, uh, the the Tracy Letts play August uh, Osage August County. Osage County, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and also the, even the character in Irresistible that just seems to be the emotional weight of it that that you seem to be able to tap into, especially with adaptation. You know the you know that the, the sort of heartbreak of that guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you when you go into those places, I mean, is it hard to come out? <laughs> Um, it's not hard to come out, you know, like, like, uh, when, when you're interviewing other actors, they say, well, do you take your character home with you? Right. And if I came home with my character, my wife would kill me. Right. She wouldn't put up with it for a minute. Right. Yeah. But when you're going, when you're living in a hotel or you're up in Toronto or Montana shooting a film and you go back to the hotel and motel um you got stuff to shoot the next day yeah so yeah you do take it home with right you. well yeah you kind of live in it because sure. because now is the time to work 
right. during the shooting schedule. It's not the time to play. Yeah. Now you do your work and it gets a little serious. Like with adaptation, you know, working uh like that that movie is a crazy movie. Oh, it's it's bizarre. It's bizarre. I mean, uh, when I saw that the previous one, John Malkovich. Oh yeah. Being John Malkovich, I must have seen that, you know, I'm probably going on my ninth or tenth time to see it, and I think I discover something new every time I see it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I watched adaptation pretty recently, but that character was so you know, it just had a sort of an authenticity to it. And Spike Jones seems like a pretty, you know, he's like a comfortable guy. Like, a, you know, he seems like a very, I've met him a few times, but he, what's it like to work with him, you know, as a director? Pretty, pretty remarkable. I mean, I was living in Boston and got up early, drove into New York yeah. um, to do the audition. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you, I won't name names, but I'll tell you, there were some very recognizable faces <laughs> yeah. in the waiting room. Yeah. And uh, so when my time came, if you're at all familiar with the audition process, you do your you you do your idea of the character. Right. And if the director likes you, um, then he may say, let's do it again. Uh, make this adjustment here. Think about this. Think about that. And let's, let's go again. So from the get go, I told, I told Spike, I said, please allow me to show you what I can do with this character. I can't give you my definitive audition, my definitive idea of John LaRoche. There's too many ways to play this guy. And so he allowed me to do that. And he put, uh, he put the audition on on a video videotape and it was about a 45 minute audition we did probably three or four scenes three or four different ways yeah and we liked so we liked working that way so much that we carried that into when we were shooting the film oh really because what that does is it's a it's a it's a present to the director and to the editor. Yeah, um, you can play you can play the scene one way, and then on another take play it another way. So the editor, the director have a variety of um, different takes to draw from. You know? So so you would you would he would encourage you to to sort of like shift your choices completely for different takes. Yeah. And it, and it was all based on it's, it's as if it's as if right. you're this Florida redneck and here is this new New York journalist came all the way down here and wants to interview you. Yeah. Well, she's lucky to have your time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's turn it around. Right. You are to totally intimidated by this woman. Yeah. This bright New York journalist. And what are you? Yeah. This Florida redneck. And so you you don't even look at her. You you so Right, her. right. Yeah, yeah. So it's just that that kind of stuff. That's interesting because that seems to like you know, you couldn't have acted that any more thoroughly, right? In terms of the work, right? Because you're huh. you're approaching it from all these different possibilities. And then you get yeah. the Oscar for it, and it just seems like, you know, just on many levels, you know, you definitely earned that Oscar. You know what I mean? Just to add to this, because I have to, I have to mention her. And uh, 
when we did August Osage County. Yeah. Uh, Merrill, Merrill is the queen of shaking it up, changing it up every take. Oh yeah. And it's just, and, and I said, when, you know, when, you, when we do these junkets yeah. and talk about the work, I say, to the, I say to the audience, nobody knows the talent of this woman unless you're on set watching her because she brings such variety, you know. Yeah, it, well, it's, it's, she's astounding. <laughs> yeah. So when you're, when you're being challenged by the director to do a thing and then, you know, you're also working with somebody that makes it fresh every time, that must really feel like the, the, the best part of, of doing the job that you do. It is. It is. It's, it's like it's like it keeps you on your toes because uh, you're putting your concentration on what she's giving you. Yeah. What she's giving you. And you have to react to that. And, you know, that goes back to it just goes back to classwork, you know. Sure. I guess so. Now, when you say you want to push the envelope, because I mean, I watched Irresistible and I think it was a pretty good movie. And, you know, it looks like, uh, you know, you and Carell had a good time, but you seem to be cast a lot. Uh, uh, well, you know, at least a few times as kind of a, a politician of one kind or another or a, a, a kind of rural guy that's in one yeah, form. Yeah. Or, you know, that's so when you when you think about challenging yourself or, or saying that, like, I think Little Women just watching that, watching you work in that. That was completely different and completely rewarding. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not a big role. Obviously we see that. Right. But the little scenes are spaced out very nicely, but man, my treat was watching these kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that talent. Oh my God. They were, they were really impressive, really impressive to watch Sersha and, and Timothy Shalamot. Yeah. Um, they know what they're doing, you know, and Laura Dern, Oh, wonderful yeah. talents oh and merle's in that too and merle yeah. merle's in that. Yeah. It's, i think it's a masterpiece that movie i love well, it's it. pretty lovely it it's really, pretty but like remarkable. but like what what would you like to do like you know when you think about pushing the envelope what does that mean to you well you know i don't have i'm not an ideas guy uh, but i put it out there and anybody's anybody's invited to you know see what they can do with it but I think it's remarkable that nobody has come up with a limited series about the uh, architect Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh yeah, sure. And he has a, such a dramatic, true life uh, incidents that happened to he and his family, and such a long career. Yeah, and uh, um, beautiful and stuff. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his architecture and all, you know. So I. I think it'd be great to portray somebody like him. That's interesting. But other than that, to answer your question, I just, you know, I wait for the material to, um, to come or I, I read a book that I know down the road, if it, if it knocks me out uh, and there's a character in there that I'm interested in. Uh -huh. like years ago, we did this, I did this piece playing uh, Redford's brother called horse whisperer that was a that was kind of a romantic novel uh -huh. you know and i read i heard that uh, redford was going to do it so i leaped ahead and, and read the book and saw that he had a brother and and uh, you know so that's kind of how that job came about i kind of pursued that and and you know? when you look back on the roles that you have played what do you think was the most you know, uh, either risky for you or the most, you know, the, the, the most you push the envelope so far. 
Um, I'd say American Beauty. Yeah. Lone Star. Um, Lone Star. Adaptation. Uh, I did a play called, I did a film called Breach about a true story about a, a turncoat, uh, Robert Hansen, who, uh, were, were, what was that? CIA or FBI? I think FBI, I think. FBI. Yeah. FBI. Yeah. Um, half of my fun is doing the homework and creating the characters. So I, I can't, I can't call it work. Right. But, um, I think they were, they, they were stretches. And it's rewarding, right? Oh yeah. And this, the, the, the new season of homecoming, um, I have to be honest. I, I, I ended up watching the film irresistible and then, uh, somehow or another, I didn't understand that you weren't in all of homecoming. So I watched, uh, six episodes with Julia Roberts waiting for you to come on. <laughs> that was the first season. I know. I know. Yeah, that was the first season. <laughs> so and, um, do you play a politician in this one? No, no. I play, uh, an unlike, a, a very unlikely CEO. Okay. Really, who's really more of a um, hippie uh, uh, botanist, a very successful hippie hippie botanist. Okay, well, you know, so you saw, so you saw Geist, Geist uh, Laboratories, Geist Industries, right? right. You work for. So I'm. So in the second season, they introduce Leonard Geist is the character I play. You're Geist. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. Well, now that like I didn't even anticipate ever watching that series, and now I'm in. So now I'm excited <laughs> to watch <laughs> to, to watch you be Geist. Uh, it turned out pretty good. Well, I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to watch it, but I, I wasn't going to pretend like I've I've I know from doing this for a while now that if I pretend that I saw no, something, you yourself in a corner. <laughs> you do. You do. Like, yeah. I made a, 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 a tremendous mistake once with uh, uh, Gyllenhaal, Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Uh, uh -huh. playing like I saw something and then not understanding <laughs> it at all. Yeah. I guess, I mean, uh, one, uh, one question is when, cause you seem like a pretty humble guy. I mean, like what is winning an Oscar feel like for you? I mean, were it you, was fabulous. Oh, it, was good. it was fabulous. <laughs> it was great. It was a great night. It was a great night. You know, from the time that Marianne and I woke up, you know, we, we, uh, we made a day of it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we were staying at that. What's that place? Chateau, that Chateau Marmont. Yeah, it's a pretty famous place. Up on Sunset. Yeah, and uh, we treated each other in the morning to um, massages in in our bedroom, uh -huh. and we had lunch downstairs and out in the yard, and uh, slowly got you know together to go to the to the awards. But it was a night that I really wanted to remember because. Previously, I see I see all these actors so excited and saying, "Oh, it, it went by so fast! I, I can't even remember it." Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to point out is, you know, kind of in the media, they like to build up this thing about competition between actors. Right. And my competition, good God, was Chris Walken, Paul Newman, Ed Harris. That's a big one. That's a big lineup there. After that evening, Chris Walken and his wife and Marianne and I, we spent the evening together. And that was the, I'd never met. I didn't know Chris Walken. Oh, yeah. But we had a ball. Just had a great <laughs> yeah. time together. He seems like a, an intense character. No competition. He's 
there's some when you get close to him there's something behind that yeah he's he's wicked he's wicked what was what was he up for was that for uh true romance what was i was for catch me if you can i think oh right okay okay yeah 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 wow well great well i mean i i always look forward to your work and now i'm excited about homecoming it was great talking to you stay safe stay safe enjoyed it yeah man and say uh, bye, Marianne. Bye-bye. Nice talking to you, Mark. Nice meeting you. All right, see you guys. See you. All right, be well, Mark. That was me and Chris Cooper. What a sweet guy. That was his wife, Marianne, chiming in occasionally. And like I said before, the stuff he's got coming up is the second season of Homecoming on Amazon Prime, the movie Irresistible with Steve Carell. It'll be on demand June 26th.